What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host, Ken Milam and John Swan, as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. Sweet rewards, Ken. Sweet rewards. <laughs> yep, the sweet re- rewards of beekeeping. Wahoo. Just to, to recap real quick where we're at, to get us up to speed in case you're just joining us for the first time, we have given you guys an introduction to myself and to Ken and mm-hmm. kind of our backgrounds and what we do. We've talked about honeybee biology and uh, also a little bit in there about wasps, but we broke that up into three bonus episodes for you guys. So if you haven't listened to them yet, go out there and find those. You can get the specifics about the queen, the specifics about the workers and specifics about the drones and their mm-hmm. own dedicated bonus episodes. Mm-hmm. We've gone through and told you how to choose your hive style. We've mm-hmm. talked about the Langstroth versus the top bar. Mm-hmm. Talked a little bit about where you can get your bees, the different methods of acquiring bees. And we've talked about how to choose your apiary site and get it all set up and mm-hmm. any rules and regulations you might need. Now, you have a guest with us this morning. I do. We're going to go through and we are going to do an interview. And our interview today, this is our first inaugural interview. You should feel very proud. I do. I do. <laughs> we are speaking today with Miss Pamela Yamans. Pamela is a Texas master beekeeper. She is the owner of Bar- Barton Creek Honey Company. She's been in beekeeping th- since 2011, and she is an avid maker and lover of creamed honey. Now, that's one you haven't gotten a hold of yet, Ken. What's creamed honey? Creamed honey is a finely crystallized honey, and it's delicious. <sighs> okay, and you it's- let it go to sugar then. It's no, not to sugar, but we process it and it's more popular everywhere else in the world except the USA. So we're trying to uh, introduce Central Texas to creamed honey and it's been very warmly accepted. The reason in Central in the USA people have been used to going when back now I'm talking. 150 years ago, go to a tree, you bust it open, open it up, you take the honey out. And it's honey. It's honey. It's not creamed honey. It's not creamed honey. It's pure honey. It's harder to make creamed honey. I can understand that. So it has a wonderful texture on your palate. The flavor is similar to liquid honey. Mm hmm almost identical, the floral, the earth, where it comes from, mm-hmm. but it has a wonderful sensation on your palate and it's excellent on buttered toast or English muffins. It's delicious. Now see the, the How main... about cornbread? Is it pretty good on cornbread? It's excellent on cornbread. <laughs> Anything's good on cornbread, I know. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would say, though, that jalapeno honey goes pretty good on cornbread as well. I'm just saying. Oh, I know. Jalapeno <laughs> honey's good. See, now, John brought me different flavors see one of the things that i asked john i said john i can't find the honey that i'm used to uh my dad we hunted in south texas we trapped in south texas and down there there was an old beekeeper in pearsall uh he gotta be passed away i'm talking 50 years ago 40 years ago uh and Daddy would buy several gallons of honey off of him at the in the fall, and it was a different flavored honey than what you get in the stores and all that. It was fall honey. After I saw John brought me some fall honey, he says, "Ken, this is a different honey. You're probably not going to like it. It's going to be a, like a blackstrap molasses look. It's going to have a bite to it." Put it. My coffee stirred it in. Oh hell yeah, this is honey. 
And it was the fall honey that I'm used to because that's when Daddy would buy it right. off of the honey, there the is beekeeper. A, there is still a commercial uh, honey operation in Pearsall, so I wonder if that's the same Probably. place. He's been and, there a long time, if it is. Well, what's difficult this year for us is we had so much rain in October, almost the entire month of October, that our bees were not able to make uh, fall honey, Not certainly not enough to harvest any. Yeah, they're, they're doing good to have enough to make it over winter let alone have excess for us so and that kind of goes back to the episode that uh, we'll be talking about about next it'll be episode number seven and it's uh spring and the nectar flow and how weather can affect it and stuff and rain is a big part of that Mm -hmm. not enough is a problem too much is a problem it washes Uh, the nectar out of the are the yeah it'll wash the nectar out of the flowers yeah um to to go back real quick though just to kind of give you a, a tiny little bit of of differentiation between Mm -hmm. the two if you let the honey sit and you let it crystallize on its own which if it's below Mm -hmm. 75 degrees it's gonna do it relatively quickly um depending on the sugar content depending on how much fructose and glucose is in there Mm -hmm. and the different aspects and types of it sometimes it'll make larger crystals and it can be chunky and inconsistent Yes, I've seen the that. The process of doing creamed honey, what you're doing is you're taking a microfine crystallization and you're seeding honey with that crystallization. And since how it's already got that base matrix, it causes the whole thing to crystallize at that same granular structure. So you get this smooth, even, almost like a icing on a cake kind of spread. And it just melts in your mouth as soon as it hits your tongue kind of thing. It is, it's lovely. Confectionary honey. Without the actual confection, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> it does go by lots of different names, though. Spreadable, um, it's uh, honey butter, they've oh, yeah. called it. And uh, in England now, they can't call it creamed honey, but they call it soft set honey. Soft set honey. Do you do flavors in that? I don't flavor my honey, but John might. Oh, right. I do my infusions, yeah, yeah. I do my infusions, but I do not do creamed honey. So that's one of the aspects where where sometimes in beekeeping, if you're doing it as a business or you're trying to market it, you've got to find your niche. And so I decided something that wasn't very prevalent around here was the flavored or infused honeys. And I came up with a natural way to infuse organic things into the honey to give you the flavor without adding a whole bunch of extra stuff. So if like on the jalapeno honey I let you try, right. the ingredients are literally jalapeno. raw Texas honey and Organic jalapenos. That's it. Let me me ask you one. Have you ever done coffee? Have you put coffee beans in it yet? I have not. I'm going to. (laughs) Ken's got lots of ideas. I've got a lot of ideas. His wheels are always turning. I'm a cooker. I I like to cook. So I'm thinking, well, if I could do this, I could use it this way. So I'm always thinking of different ways of doing. And and, uh, now... <laughs> Just uh, I'm sitting there cream honey. I could use that on my cakes. <laughs> you know, you know what he told me on the phone yesterday. Uh-uh, Actually, no. it was day before yesterday. He calls me up and he's like, "All right." He, he calls me every day. He gets trapped in these. He goes down the online rabbit holes. <laughs> One link leads yeah, to the next I link. You. Then he calls me and runs through all of them. Now, what about this? Now, I saw that, and this guy did this. Well, he he was actually he was shopping for himself. And he comes across a place that's out there local to him, and he asked him if they had honey. And he's like, well, I got a guy who can get you oh, some yeah, honey. Was, we, can, was, we can put it in the store. <laughs> then he calls me, and he tells me, well, you can get some out there to him, but I'm going to let you know right now. As soon as I start getting my honey, yours ain't going to be in there yeah, anymore. Like, Go be, be mine. <laughs> uh, San Saba has olive trees in San Saba, Texas. Uh, San Saba Olive Oil Company in San Saba, Texas. They need a bunch of uh, local honey, and they like flavored honey. 
and they also do do balsamic vinegars. Mm-hmm. So. And there's a, a commercial beekeeper that resides in San Saba. Okay. His uh, ranch is there, so I think that would be a wonderful match. Oh yeah, wonderful match. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, and yeah, and then I found out you're from Bastrop, which I lived there for many years in Bastrop County at Bateman, and uh, so we had to find all that out and see where everybody was at. So, and in uh, Bastrop. Bash, do you have the, your bees in Bastrop or you, I know you, you've got a new place coming up and, I, and I'm jumping right. at it. I know that's the way I work. I don't, I don't ever stay well, on your outline. I, yes, I have bees. As of uh, two days ago, we finally closed up one apiary out of uh, Mustang Ridge, the Dale area, and moved the uh, bees uh, to the farm in Bastrop. It was uh, a little bit muddy because of all oh, the yeah, rains all we've the rain, had and yeah. so it took a while to uh get the right timing to move them but now they're out there now you just start talking about moving you do more langstroff than top bar which we have been talking about also mm-hmm. now we haven't but me and john have right so the langstroff how many hives of bees do you have well i manage about uh 39 40 colonies so, and you've been in it since 2011. That's correct. I started with one hive, one colony, and uh, learned from that. I actually started with education before I got uh, bees, and then I got the bees and, and started uh, learning through that. I was familiar with livestock, horses, uh, cattle a little bit, and so I was very interested in the honeybees. What uh, What was your main draw? What was the main interest that wanted you to, like, oh, led you to get started? It was love. she likes honey, damn it. No, it was love for my <laughs> husband. He's a competitive mountain biker, and um, he had a lot of allergies, and so I started with the local honey. My mother-in-law, Verna, had suggested uh, that Steve take local honey, and so I thought, well, I'll, I'll really make it very local. He rides a lot in Barton Creek area. We live near the Barton Creek Preserve, and so I started with that, and uh, to him, it's been very beneficial. He has honey every single day. Asked, I'm going to ask you this. How is honey helping with cedar? Bees don't t- go to cedar, do they? No, they take cedar pollen. They, they take do cedar get the pollen. pollen yeah, they get the pollen. But the trick with this is that the honey itself is not what you're allergic to. The honey comes directly from the nectar. So any particulates of pollen that happen to be in the nectar or in the honey when they mix it up, that's where the allergy thing comes from. And in the wintertime when they're picking up that cedar, they're not really getting any nectar anywhere. So it's just going straight to protein and they're eating it and consuming it. So it's it's it would be a rare offset if you found the cedar pollen in your actual honey. I don't want honey that it, it tastes like gin. Well, it's, it's not going to taste like gin. Okay, they're, okay. They're as long micro- as it don't taste like gin, yeah, we're good. They're microscopic <laughs> particulates that that are, are in there, like trace elements. Right. Yeah, so it's not going to add a flavor to it at so all. So what we're saying here is if you're wanting to have honey for a medicinal purpose, whether it's ragweed, whether it's cedar, whether it's whatever, you want to eat the honey from the area that you live in. 
Correct. And if it's truly going to help with that allergy, it also needs to be an allergen that is growing during the time that flowers are also producing nectar. Pollen, as long as the plant is of the same species, the pollen is similar, whether it's from up north or or in the Texas area. But one of the things I'd like to point out to your audience, uh, gentlemen, is that if you buy honey out of the grocery store, not all of the honey, but some of it has been highly heated or pasteurize and then push through because it's viscous, it becomes thinner and easier to filter. It's pushed through a very, very fine filter and that pollen is removed. And so if people are interested, and also I would say it's blended so much and it removes those particulates, it loses a lot of the unique flavor. Oh, absolutely. Honey tastes like the earth the flowers grow from. Yeah. It's, it can it can be different a half a mile away. The you honey. go you go into the store and you buy any brand name of honey, and especially if it says wildflower honey, if you buy it and it's from your state, all of it tastes identical because most of it has all been mixed. They take all the seasons, mm-hmm. they mix it together. What they're trying to do is they make a uniform flavor palette out of it so that it's consistent. But honey in nature is not consistent. No. I've got different locations. Pamela has different locations. You can do a harvest from one hive, and they may have focused on one plant, and it can taste radically different than the hive right next to it, let alone five miles down the road. So you're you're getting this wonderful experience when you try the raw honey, and you get the local honey from somebody. I tell people a lot, if you're looking for raw honey, if you're looking for local honey, and you go to, like, say, a farmer's market, if you're walking down through the farmer's market and you see, sorry, guys, no offense, but if you see something that you also see in the grocery store, yeah. keep walking. Oh, yeah. Go until you sign, see that little bitty lady sitting there and she's got a little mason jar. You know, that stuff came out of her backyard. That mm-hmm. is real honey. If it's in the grocery store and they produce enough of it that they can fulfill a large chain like we have down here, like H-E-B, yeah. chances are it's you're not going to get those unique benefits and qualities that you are to the individual local person. And I would like to say to people that are are thinking about beekeeping, I would like to see uh, neighborhoods, how I kind of imagine the old days were, uh, uh, people in their backyard having two or three hives to help with their garden, their flowers, and to be able to harvest that honey out of their backyard and to taste the flavor and how it's so different. And, you know, that's exactly right, because as I've got the fall honey from John and, and I found out that's exactly, you know, that's the difference. The honey that now is blended so much, it all tastes the same. It all you tastes buy, the same. You buy honey here. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tastes like honey. Yeah. yeah. That tastes like honey. Now the brand over here, you get John's. It, okay. It's a dark honey. Oh, that's honey. That's what I was eating when I was a kid. Yeah. And that, you know, that's it. And then you, you have the flavored honey, the the, the jalapeno. Infused, yeah, and the kicking Now, the lavender, I'm not sure on. Lavender, so lavender goes amazing on desserts like ice cream or a fresh fruit bowl. And all you need to do is just drizzle it over because what you're doing is just adding that hint of sweeter, that hint of flavor. It's not meant to be like in large spoonfuls, but you could also use it to cook or to do marinades or things like that. But it goes great on desserts and fruits. If we could make a coffee honey <laughs> oh you like, know ken, co- ken missed his coffee break <laughs> <laughs> oh no coffee's up the road <laughs> but anyway uh yeah i mean this is 
the more you look, you look, you look into it and you see how y'all, you know, you know, to me, honey, but just honey, have a bees. You got honey. Well, now see, there's and now it's, it's more, it's, it's a science. Oh, it's it is. Not, and, yeah. and it can be taken to a whole different level. So recently Pamela has gotten herself involved with honey shows and she has partnered up with a lady named Ann Harmon, who will actually be um, a guest at some point down mm-hmm. the road. And she and Ann Harmon, Ann Harmon is a nationally renowned honey judge. And so Pamela got really involved with the honey shows and actually now she sees it from a completely different perspective as well. There's the, you know, the grassroots, hey, I've got my honey, it's raw, it's pure. And then there's the whole other side of it where it's a competition and there's all these stringent rules and things in place about, you know, what it is, how it was processed, what it looks like. You hold it up and look through it. Is there any air bubbles? Is there particulates? Like, how do you how do you feel about the entire honey show? Do you take it and smell the cork and and then taste it and swish it around in your mouth and get the... Well, get the- it, there is actually a process like that. And you guys are... It's going to be a blessing to have Anne. She is internationally. She's judged in the UK and in Korea and, and for worldwide. And she's a brilliant chemist. And there is a process that you go through. And the interestingly enough, it's the aroma is at the very end of the judging. Honey shows initially started because we didn't have internet. We didn't have radio. Right. And so it was who won at the county fair honey show. You knew they had high quality, clean um, honey mm-hmm. to have to purchase. And so it is fantastic to participate in honey show. I learn a lot every time I participate. You learn how to prepare your honey, what should be the water content of your honey, how do you keep it clear of particulates, as you mentioned. Um, And the reason that's important is because people don't want to always buy crystallized honey, so you want to see how clear it is. And there's also different ways of having honey, the creamed honey, the chunk honey. You cut honeycomb and you place it in the jar of honey. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. It's exquisite looking. I'm telling you, honeybees are miracles, <laughs> miracles are. that amazing. what they can uh, create. Amazing oh, critters. What I've what I've learned from John, uh, you know. Yeah, okay, honeybees. Yeah, you got a swarm there. There's a bee. There's a queen in that, and yeah, you got a drone. You got drones. Yeah, okay. You shake them off in a in a in a in a hive, and they're supposed to mate. Honey, <laughs> and then you go rob it. You know, right. that's the well, simple. That's the simple and, and the Spaniards and the Europeans brought um, honeybees. And that's where to, most, Go ahead. Is that where most of our honeybees? Well, they were European-based honeybees. Or right, did we have correct. honeybees no. before? The, no, we no, didn't have. There honeybees. are no native they, honeybees in the United States. They're all. F- they like, they're just like pigs. <laughs> they're exactly. All, they were well, not. They're not at all like pigs. They, <laughs> They were back over. Feral pigs came from the Spaniards. Oh, and we have a problem with (laughs) hogs on our property, too. Uh, But they came over because the churches wanted candles. Well, not even the churches. People in their houses wanted light, right? There wasn't electricity. So they brought honeybees not for the sweetness. Predominantly, they brought it for the wax so they could have candles, so they could have light. You know what? The number two? Alcohol. Well, yeah, you make mead. You make mead. And so like in the old, even overseas, it was the people in the missionaries, it was the bunks that actually kept the bees and they made mead. Mead. And then they sold the mead as a way to make profit for the actual monastery. So that is actually your original prior to all these other fancy things. Mead was your original alcohol. Wow. (laughs) 
<laughs> Amazing stuff. It is. So, okay, so Pamela, you've now, if you you started beekeeping, I'll change the subject, sorry. Um, it was so fun. <laughs> you started beekeeping in 2011, so you've been doing it now for eight years. Mm-hmm. Out of all of that, what would you say now, and I'm sure it might have changed over time, but now, what is your favorite aspect of beekeeping? What do you love about it the most? I, I like to watch the bees. Watch I like them to work. I yeah. like to sit outside and uh, just watch them flying in and out. Um, or when I open them up to s- just see them, all the different colors, right? Because we sort of have mutts. We've crossbred so hey, much. Hang on, hang on. Okay. They are what? Red, red, red. Texas red-headed mutts. Yeah. That's okay. what I call our honeybees. <laughs> okay. That's good. That's good. And they're just so beautiful. I mean, they're just beautiful. But I love to watch them flying in and out. I would agree with that, that when I first got my two hives and I I went to all this work and I put them in the backyard and I I had this giant elaborate setup, just it was an excuse like the bees needed a water source. So I built a pond and a stream and a waterfall like I went overboard. But every night I would come home from work, I would go out into my little apiary and I would just sit there and I would watch them in around seven o'clock in the evening. They'd be doing their orientation flights and it was just so peaceful and calming. And next thing I know, I'd look at the phone and it'd be like 830 and I'm like, Lord, I've been sitting out here for an hour and a half just staring at the beehives like like mesmerized. It, it's it, a wonderful it, feeling. It's quite beautiful when uh, either the morning sun is highlighting them or in the summer, the uh, the setting sun, the evening. you know, it's at an angle. Mm-hmm. And so you can see them flying much more easily than yep. in the height of the day. I, that's that's my favorite time of day that it's just there's about an hour window yeah. just before dusk. That is everything just seems perfect. It's alive. The way the rays hit the ground, it's this emerald green everything's just so much more beautiful and everything's quiet and calm and it's uh, i love it <laughs> and you're sitting there cross-legged going um kind of oh, you yeah. don't even have to hum the bees the bees will hum for you all the time you know it's all good <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> so well, that's why i did strapper fishing they see exactly yeah it's, i got on the water and i oh i gotta tell you a story about strapper fishing that's the way i work by the way I was on the lake in my boat, had a load of customers on. Uh, I'm sitting there and all of a sudden, and I look up and I just grab my scissors off of my deck, my dash in my boat, and I just walk around cutting lines. I just cut my anchor rope and I says, guys, get down and hang on. The queen landed on my T-top on my boat. The swarm was coming in on top of her. Wow. And I had to get the hell out of there now. So we uh, we had to. They to, wouldn't have hurt you. No, no, no. See, well, that's I the didn't know that. You cut people, your anchor. You lost your anchor. Yeah. <laughs> and see, that's that's one of the misconceptions because most people they they see a cloud of you know fifteen to thirty thousand bees flying at them, and yeah. their initial reaction is, "Oh my God, run for the hills!" And they all take off. But in reality, when bees are swarming, they're in a reproductive swarm. That's the actual term for the Mm -hmm. swarm is it's a reproductive split of the colony. They're in this swarm and they're all traveling, looking for a new home. They have no food to guard. They have no babies to guard. They have no home to guard. So they're not trying to protect anything. They're just trying to move along as best they can and find that home. That's their only goal. You're irrelevant. I mean, it looks intimidating when they're coming, but if you stand perfectly still, they'll fly right around you and won't do anything whatsoever. Okay. 
So then, then should just stay still. The queen would have got tired, or the bees would have all piled up there. And if I'd have known what I know now, I'd have got me a box, raked them off in there, put them, closed the box, and took them home, put them in my top bar half. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So, it's interesting, though, isn't it, that they were over water? That's interesting to me. Hey, I mean, if you're on water and you're tired, a boat's a great place to Heck take yeah. a pit stop. The only thing place stop. <laughs> and I mean, that queen, she, I guess it was a queen that she, they were coming on top of me that's all i know so if I you if you had seen it takes a while to learn to see a queen if we're talking about new beekeeping um but they have the most beautiful shape and i don't know if it's beautiful to my eyes or the human eye because it's uh so uh feminine right so maternal shaped if you think of some of the art uh, great art but it it's beautiful if you can see the queen if uh, she were a person she would be a full-bodied voluptuous woman <laughs> okay yeah like who'd, who'd the astro marry who, only, what was the model the astro the married <laughs> yeah. and you only have feed them uh, they only get raw jelly royal well when they're developing yeah That's just the got. royal jelly mm-hmm um, and it, it does, you know, it turns them into this And she wonderful was the thing. same old bee that all the rest of the bees are. She would have been. Started out. Yeah, she would have been for sure. What would you say, Pamela, is the most challenging aspect for new beekeepers just getting started in the trade? Probably understanding the annual and annual timeline, understanding and being able to know what to do when uh, during the year. Uh because it's sort of like if you if you have a, a pet, a cat or a dog, it's sort of consistent through the year, you know, and you know you have to medicate once a month, right, for fleas and ticks and so forth. That's just what popped into mm-hmm. my head because a lot of people have pets. But with uh, honeybees, there's, there's a life cycle, and being a new beekeeper, one who may not have had the opportunity mm-hmm. yet to get a lot of education or to read or to go to a lot of bee clubs for education. It's hard to know what to do when, right? Even as some something as simple as when do I harvest my honey, right? When, when do I feed bees? When do I uh, organically medicate bees to help them? So I think that, or when do I add supers for honey? So I think understanding a timeline and being able to stick to it. One of the things I've learned through the years is that the commercial beekeepers are very rigorous and have a set schedule and they do everything. Now they're highly mechanized, so they have a lot of support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they do I, it by the calendar. They do if it, it by is, the calendar. If it is July 7th, we do this. I don't care what else is going on. We do this. That's what the calendar says. Right. And so... I'm trying to get to that. I'm still not. But it it was like I would do this or do that or then I'd have to hurry up and read or I'd hear a friend. I'd be at a bee club and they're doing something or uh, talking to you, John, right? Different <laughs> things happen. I go, oh, yeah, when's the last time I did that or what should I be doing? And uh, and it's fascinating to learn so much about the local uh, flora. Right. Yeah. And see, I, I'm completely the opposite. And I actually teach in some degrees to the opposite of that calendar approach, because you'll have people that will come in and they'll say, well, you know, you guys said that on this date or I read online that on this date you're supposed to do your honey harvest. But I opened up the colony and there's still brood in mm-hmm. this one frame and there's honey above it or like half of the honey is capped and half isn't. And so I actually go by a different doctrine and I say, you know, then it's not ready yet. 
Like I don't go by the calendar. I go by the bees, but it's great to know when certain things need to be done, at least in the season so that you can keep an eye on it. And then when your bees are ready for that step, then you do it, but don't do it too early because you think you should, or in some cases you're being greedy and you just want the excess. I think that's very sensible, but also understanding a timeline allows you to acquire items you might need right. to have because really a lot of us have to purchase our beekeeping equipment through the beekeeping suppliers which is a order process right and a shipping process yeah and a lot of those it, they actually if you're doing bulk orders online um, it can be expensive to ship that stuff but they'll have minimum orders on there so it's good to pre-plan that stuff and get it in bulk because then if you do it in bulk all at once instead of one-offs here and there you can sometimes qualify for that free shipping or partner up with if you've got two or three friends in your area maybe you're all going to get started and you all need things well then you can all put your order together and qualify for the free shipping and it kind of makes it a little bit easier um, if you're local like us then like here in Austin we have Callahan's General Store right. and you can go into Callahan's and if it's Langstroth especially they literally have everything in there that you would need to get started in beekeeping they've got the hives they've got the queen excluders they've got all that kind of stuff there now if you're looking at doing top bars for instance they don't necessarily they kind of fall short on that side right. they don't have the top bar but there are local resources for that as well we know people through our association that build and sell top bars i have top bars on my website that you can buy they're like the budget version of them um ken has been in his workshop all week when it's raining there's nothing else to do so he's been building top bar versions of swarm traps that's nice. Yeah, That's he's nice. see he's he's planning ahead. So the to tie into that, what you think is the most challenging? Then what advice would you have for somebody like Ken who's just getting started? What would be the, the, like the one piece of best advice you could give a new beekeeper? Education, education, and education can be uh, formal education. Uh, with that's very science-based on um, biology to understand a lot of the initial education around honeybees is biology sort of oriented but then also I put into that category a mentor I have uh, learned so much from my beekeeping friends the other beekeepers who I respect and I've observed John and I became very close friends it, in part of that, I really admire his knowledge and his expertise. Um, so I think education is very important. On the flip side of that, I would I, there are some really good websites that you sometimes just want to go out. There's a, a blog that I like, Honeybee Sweet. It's a biologist. Oh my god, in Rusty! Oregon. I yeah. love Rusty. <laughs> I love because she's she used to be she was into like a linguist of some sort in her past life and she writes so eloquently, yes. but there's humor in there and there's wit in there yes. and then there's knowledge and you learn. And I love to go there and read her stuff because not only do you learn something, but I sit there and I chuckle and I laugh because yeah. I love, she told this story on there. My favorite one was about how the de-evolution of language and it was all about her putting on her bee suit and going out to her hive and she saw a spider and she thought it was on the outside of the suit, but it was on the inside <laughs> and she started started freaking out and trying to get the suit off. She knocked over her hive. Everything oh, no. went, crazy. Yeah, went crazy. She was getting stung and it all started with a spider. But by the time she made it to the house, she couldn't form proper words unless they were four letter words. <laughs> 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 so it was, it was the de-evolution of the English language. Um, but I agree. Like education is an, is an amazing thing. And if you have local area associations, like look into it, see if you can find something in your area here in Austin, we're, 
we are blessed and we're honestly like overloaded. If you start south of town and you come this way, there's San Marcos Beekeepers. There is the Hayes County Beekeepers. Then in Travis, for the whole Travis County, there's the Travis County Beekeepers Association. As you move on into town, there's actually two in Austin. So you got the Travis County and then you have the Austin area beekeepers. And if you move up past that towards Williamson County, you've got the Williamson County beekeepers. So there is no excuse not to be able to get that knowledge and that information. Every one of those associations allow people, the general public to come in for free. You don't have to be a member to set in and learn and you can network. You meet other people. Maybe somebody lives down the road from you. And that's a great way to get started is to use those local associations to your advantage. Yes, I agree with that. And that's how, as you were mentioning, you meet people and that's to try and find that one person that can be your mentor that you can call and send 29 photos from your iPhone <laughs> when you're looking at a frame and you don't really know what's going on and that they're, they're willingly take that and, and we'll call you back and still talk to you. So that's important. All I'm right. going to send you 30. I do. <laughs> I do want to say, though, caution people, there's a lot on the Internet. And so I would like people to pick one science-based blog and go with that. And Rusty's blog, Honey Bee Sweet, is good because she will read other scientific sites and then break it down into simple language, which is very comprehensible. But there are other blogs or listservs and things like that that people will just start – They. They just fall apart. They get into arguments because there's so many different ways to do beekeeping. Oh, there are. And so that's another thing I think is important is there are so many approaches. There's no one right way. There's it. You have to develop your own rhythm and style, and that's only going to happen with trial and error. Well, and a lot of the literature is actually written from the perspective of the northern states. So when you go through and you're reading a book about beekeeping, they start talking about winterization and overwintering your bees and, 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 you know, this many hundreds of pounds of honey, and they've got to be wrapped with this thick of a layer of insulation. We live in central Texas. No need to do we, that. We have like three weeks of winter spread out over three months. Mm. I mean, it's a little bit here, a little bit there. We don't get that cold. We don't need that much honey in the hives. We don't have to insulate our hives. There's a lot of things to it that are different. So you have to get the feel for your region and your area and having local contacts kind of helps you with that aspect. But like the the contradictions are endless. I'm going to actually write a book and it's going to be called Beekeeping, The Art of Contradiction. Because for for everything you do, it is a very accurate title. For everything you do, there's there's four other versions that that are completely opposing to it and change how it works. So, yeah, absolutely. There's just so much to learn to be a new beekeeper i mean like me just so much to learn and that's how i met john and that's how the 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 podcast started and it's going to be learning as i'm learning and we're going to be talking about it Uh, and i'll tell uh, you that when we talk about education i have to highly recommend the texas master beekeeper program because it's a very structured approach and it starts from the beginning and it uh, proceeds on uh, to different levels, and it's it's a blessing that that was brought to uh, Texas. Uh, it was originally the Florida program and part of the Georgia program, and our uh, Texas Apiary Inspection Agency service uh, brought that and introduced it into Texas. Yeah, Lance Wilson actually is is kind of our He's on one of board, our founding right? fathers of mm-hmm. that, and he goes through and authors a lot of the Texas Master Beekeeper, and he himself is and, and the words get really 
kind of confusing and convoluted, but he's like a grand master craftsman, master craftsman, beekeeper, master from beekeeper Georgia, from the right. state of Georgia. He knows what the hell he's doing. Oh boy, does saying. he ever! Okay, and talk about he's talk very about scientific. <laughs> we uh, we will actually have Lance in on the show yeah. at some point, um, probably when we talk about Varroa and mite control and things like that, because that is he is extremely knowledgeable in that area. But yeah, it's uh, he's a wonderful guy. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so let's move on to some quick fire questions are you ready for this all right so we we haven't ever done this before um so we're gonna we're gonna put pamela on the spot i don't have too many of them i'm sure as things go on i will add more to this list but the the concept of this is um as concise and short of as an answer as you can give us what your initial knee-jerk reaction is and and you know i also apologize if they make you like stress over what to choose but i i get some sort of sick gratification out of that probably so (laughs) all right so the first thing top bar versus langston Langstroth. 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 Ah, what did you start off as, though? Langstroth. Really? Yeah. I thought you started as top bar. I guess you did start as Langstroth. Yeah. Uh, my first top bar, my husband made one for me for a, as a Christmas gift. So that was You my didn't first. like it? No, no. It's on our porch right now. And we take all of our guests and open the observation window and they can look at it. And that's one of the things in the morning or in the afternoon, I can see the bees flying out of it from the kitchen table, right? I can see the sunlight hitting them. It's quite nice. Yeah, that transition actually has a lot to do with the honey. Pamela's, you know, she's got a honey company. She's moving towards that direction. And, and you need those Langstroths if you want to really put out to the excess honey. a lot honey. of honey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Next one. Treatment versus natural. Treatment. Treatment. Got to go through and treat the bees. We'll get to that on a later segment. We, yeah. w- w- but uh, with soft chemicals. Uh, organic. Which, organic, uh, meaning oxalic acid, which you find in spinach. So that's natural. Um, I don't want any uh, foreign chemicals introduced into my yeah, wax no, or my bees. No synthetically made chemicals, just the organic treatments. And so when you do the podcast on how to where to get your bees. One of the things of great interest is after the uh, migratory beekeepers come back from the almonds in California, those trees are treated with fungicides and so forth. And a lot of them uh, resell those honeybees. So it's just something to be aware of. But I uh, like to know that my wax is pretty much chemical free. Next question. What are you in it for? You have three choices, honey, wax, or bees. <laughs> I told you some of them may make you feel torn. Honey, wax, or bees? What is your primary thing? What's your main drive at this point? I I like bees, but I I can't. You only it's get hard. one answer. <laughs> okay, uh, honey. Honey. All right, he's in it for the honey. Okay. Well, um, the the last one on here. What would be the most frequent question that you get from a just when when people find out you're a beekeeper? What is the number one question they always ask you? Do I get stung a lot? That's the same one for me. That's <laughs> yes, absolutely. Do you get stung? You know what the second question always is? Does it hurt? <laughs> like hell yes it hurts every time every time it never changes okay well I, I i appreciate you coming in and and talking with us today pamela you actually are kind of in the in the midst of doing a transition and you're moving from the barton creek honey company you're actually you have a new farm out by bastrop in bastrop county and you're moving things that direction if you want to real quick just kind of give us an idea of what that is and what the people in that area might be able to look forward to here soon yeah so i kind of went through the transition of being a backyard uh, beekeeper and then I went through a huge growth spurt of uh, 
like doubling, mm-hmm. tripling the amount of hives. And I learned how to succeed through that and to keep a lot of colonies alive through the winter. That's one of the lines that you'll hear is, you know, can you keep 40 hives alive through the winter? And um, we succeeded in doing that. And so I started placing apiaries in... Um, different uh, cattle ranches and so forth. There are barriers to selling honey, which is called state regulation. And so we have to have a commercial kitchen or what we call a honey house uh, inspected or certified by the state. And so in order to do that, I needed a workshop that I could turn into that and so that we could expand our wholesaling um, capabilities. And so now our honey is available in uh, our target market is like nice restaurants or uh, hotels. Is the the name of the company going to be changing to acquire or to right. fit this Part new of that location? growth process of small business is um, going to uh, uh, just a proprietorship. And now we're an LLC, a limited liability company. So we are the Texan Honey Farm LLC. Okay. Very cool. <laughs> Well, thank you, Pamela, for coming in today. We greatly appreciate you here. It's been a pleasure speaking with it you. Was fun. Um, You're both wonderful guys. Love, <laughs> it was fun. Love, yeah, love the chat. Um, we'll we'll definitely have you on the show again at oh, some yes. other point in the future. Yes. Um, you can come back in and check in with us after Ken has has gotten his head into his first hive and gotten stung a few times, and then we'll see what he thinks about it after that. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. I'm looking forward to your bees. Well, it's gonna be fun. It'll be something different. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I really am. It's gonna be fun, and and yeah. Yeah, it's definitely going to be fun. It's going to be a learning experience, and uh, I I can't wait to see where the journey takes us all. So I hope you enjoyed our interview. We have more interviews coming throughout the season, so look forward to that. But more importantly, coming up on our next episode of The Hive Jive, we are going to be talking about the first signs of spring, what nectar sources may be available out there for your bees, how you can read the signs and the sources and to kind of know what might be coming on so that you will have a better understanding of what this all actually means for your bees and you as a beekeeper. So look forward to it and we'll see you on the other side. You've been listening to The Hive Jive. We appreciate you joining us on our beekeeping adventures and you can find out more information about today's episode online at thehivejive.com. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.